Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And on today's podcast... Hi, I'm Veronica Watkins. I'm the Assistant Professor of Ceramics in the art uh, program within the Department of Fine and Performing Arts. Welcome, Veronica. Thank you. It is truly a joy. A little disclosure here. I can't remember what year it was, but way back, you know, 15 plus years ago, I actually took a class Veronica was teaching. I believe it was Intro to Design or something like that. It was one of the design courses. So uh, I've known Veronica for quite a long time. (laughs) That was probably in my earlier days. So it was, it was a long time ago. So welcome. So you are assistant professor. So you teach ceramics. Tell us which courses you teach and how you kind of how you got to Northwest. Give us a little bit of background about your, your role. My specialization and within my two degrees is mostly in ceramics. Um, there's a little bit of jewelry and fibers in there. But for many years, I taught what I would call foundations courses. So I taught intro to design, which is sort of a class for people coming into the program right off the bat, and then some drawing and some art appreciation. And then once in a while, they would ask me to teach something else like letter forms or survey of art or something like that. And then occasionally I would get to teach ceramics, but at that time, so starting, that was starting in 2002 uh, is when I came on the scene here as an adjunct. And I did that for about 17 years. Um, And just once in a while teaching ceramics, but we had a full-time ceramics faculty member that covered most of that load. So I helped kind of with the other things as needed. That was a two-part question. So how did I kind of get here? So I actually came to Northwest right out of high school, studying art, working on a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree here in 92, I think. And I finished up in 96. And then I spent a semester sort of researching graduate programs, applying, and I ended up Uh, I got a pretty good offer from SIU Carbondale, and I attended there. That was a three-year program. I really didn't know at the time if I wanted to teach, but I knew I wasn't finished sort of getting my education. I wanted to keep learning and growing as an artist and just having that access to studio and community. And so that's where I went, and I had an excellent experience there. I felt well-prepared coming from the program here at Northwest, and I had mostly studied under a gentleman named Russell Smalljohn as sort of my primary ceramics instructor. Of course, the whole entire faculty was key in sort of chiseling me and shaping me. But when I showed up there, I I felt well prepared in terms of just talking about all art and being able to participate in critiques and in my skill as a maker. Um, And so also that gave me the opportunity to try out teaching as a graduate assistant. So I was really the instructor of record for the classes I was teaching, which happened immediately when I got there, which caught me a little bit off guard, but that was part of my assistantship. I was a studio tech and, a t- and an instructor, and I started out teaching intro level ceramics classes, and then I moved into teaching wheel throwing classes. And so I did that for three years and then graduated in 2000 with my MFA and moved to a tiny town 
which many will have heard of because it's in this area as Red Oak, Iowa. And I started sort of reaching out for opportunities and I got a little part-time job in an office and I taught at Southwest Iowa Community College branch there in Red Oak, just teaching like art appreciation or their equivalent to that. And then at some point there soon after I got a call from Northwest, they were looking for the adjunct support. So I started kind of commuting and I got my foot in the door that way, which was great because I was able to teach part-time for several years and I was able to stay home and sort of be part of my kids' journey as I was having my three kids. And so it was a good balance for me at the time. And so then in 2018, I'm, I sort of segued into a full-time career teaching ceramics. So I had been making also during that time and keeping up my own studio practice in ceramics in different ways, like even just teaching some community art camps for kids and things and um, just trying to exhibit and stay, you know, stay active as an artist because that's at heart really what I am. I'm an artist and a teacher. And so that was hard to, at different times, hard to manage, but it happened at some levels. And so in 2018, taking on a full-time ceramics teaching career. And so you asked about what classes I teach. So we do have an introductory level ceramics class. It's just called ceramics. And that's really a class that anybody can take. And we cover sort of a broad base of experiences and ideas and techniques. And then the next class after that would be a wheel throwing class. Um, It's called wheel throwing and functional form. And so um, there are some prerequisites for that class. And and these classes are mostly for majors, but we do have non-majors sometimes that have special interests that take those courses. And then after that class, you'd move into upper level ceramic studio courses. So we have an advanced ceramics course. And then beyond that, a class called ceramic studio that you can take multiple times and for anywhere from two to six hours. So were you always interested in art? What possessed you to, you know, declare um, an art major and and want to get a BFA? So I went to a high school in Kansas City, Missouri, where I grew up. Uh, I went to Winnetonka High School. And I was really fortunate to have the experience in a school where I had really great art teachers and really good access to materials and tools and things. And we had a full-blown jewelry program where I was soldering and casting with metal and then of course I'm sort of stubborn by nature so I got onto the wheel and I was like what is this and like why is it so hard you know and I think just my nature I was attracted to that challenge like can I really make something or I I like seeing myself the struggle but also getting better and so I really got hooked in and I could work through my ideas faster in clay than I could in metal even though I was still attracted to sort of the idea of utility. I like that you could make ornaments for the body or like pottery especially is interactive. You know, you touch it, you look at it really up close and you you put like a cup, you put it to your mouth. Like this is a very intimate space. And I like that. And also that pottery facilitates interactions with people. It's very social by nature versus a painting. I love paintings. I love looking at paintings and they're very important in their messages and meanings. 
but you don't, you're not to touch them. You know, there's, there's sort of this distance that exists with other forms of art, not just painting, but, and so I think that's what I was really attracted to. And I'm a visual person. I'm a very hands-on person. And so I, I connected with that. And when I came to college, I still, I would say I was hesitant. I lacked confidence in terms of it being a field of study that I should pursue or, we always think career, you know, when we go to college, a lot of people want a career, you know, and my teachers really said, we're not trying to give you a career. We're trying to give you an education, you know, to fulfill your curiosities and your need for learning, but it's up to you what you do with it. And I was sort of, that, that puts some pressure on a person to, to have a vision for their future about, you know, where do you see yourself and what, what do you want to do? And I knew I had two parents that were um, in jobs. I wouldn't even say careers, but just jobs that they really disliked. They made some decisions early in their life that sort of set them on that trajectory. And I think they would never, you know, they would never really complain, but I could tell they weren't passionate about where they went for 40 hours a week. And so I thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to end up in a job because we're at our jobs a lot. I thought if I really love this, this art thing, and I was open to studying science or, you know, doing some other things, but I really love this art thing and I work really hard and I'm dedicated. I just take it as far as I can go. I should be fine. And maybe it was a certain amount of naiveness of just being a young person. <laughs> I'm just going to do this. And so, you know, my, there were times when my parents probably said, oh, what are you going to, what are you going to do with that art thing? And now they, I mean, they're proud of me, I guess. I mean, that wasn't why I did anything, but I think they're at ease now. They're like, okay, we can see where you're going with this, you know? And even if I wasn't teaching, I feel like as a practicing artist, I would have a very fulfilling life, you know, doing something that I'm skilled at, that's engaging, that I never get tired of. And now with the internet, with, with Etsy, I mean, you can really live anywhere and practice your art making and have an audience, whether it's just someone to, to be looking at your work or if selling is important to you. And there's definitely, we have a lot of opportunities that we didn't have in the past. And so, yeah, I think kind of that's where I started out was just that a really good foundation in high school. And then choosing a university, you know, I had a couple other places in mind but when I visited Northwest, I was instantly sort of in love with the place, you know, just the size of it, the warmth in the people here, the look of the place. I mean, it's a beautiful campus. And for a visual person, I think that's really important. A lot of us take our cues from nature and landscape. And, and just, you know, the size of my classes was great. We had state-of-the-art facilities. We still do here at Northwest. And so you could make or get, find out about just about anything you could dream of to do. And you had the support of the faculty. And if they couldn't show you how to do it, they would bring in somebody, a visiting artist, or there'd be a workshop that we would go to, like at the Iowa Ceramic Center or the Lawrence Arts Center or somewhere in Kansas City, we took field trips. And that's a tradition that I try to carry on with our students, because I will be honest, there are some things I'm not a specialist at. And so I try to be very observant of our students and sort of, you feel like a sort of a psychoanalyst sometimes, <laughs> like you're saying, 
what's going to be next for them and how can I help fuel that or feed that or inspire them. And that's a lot of problem solving stuff that goes on behind the scenes for between our faculty and our students. One thing that I always have found, I found interesting since we started doing this podcast is when we talk to a lot of faculty, you know, you mentioned you weren't sure you wanted to teach and you kind of, your graduate program, you kind of, it's like, oh, hey, you're going to teach. A lot of the faculty we've talked to have mentioned that like they had a professor who kind of saw that in them and kind of were like, hey, you should do this. Did you have that in your, either your undergrad or graduate or some professor kind of tapped you and said, hey, I think you should do this or you should, should consider this as a career possibility? I mean, I never really had a teacher tell me I should be a teacher, you know, but I definitely had teachers that I still think of and I think, man, I hope someday I'm as good of a teacher, as qualified and just a master at teaching. I mean, I think you can be a master at making your art. You probably won't feel like you are, but your audience may appreciate you more than you appreciate yourself because artists are always second guessing themselves and sort of insecure. But as far as teachers, you know, Russ Smalljohn, all my teachers here were good and they really cared about students. They weren't just clocking in and clocking out. You know, they were really cohesive in their philosophy about art and teaching fundamentals to us and letting us grow into more advanced work. But Russ really taught by example, and he was working alongside of us. He didn't go off in an office and shut the door so he could have his focused making time. He was sitting right there with us making, and we were interrupting him. And so that was a sacrifice on his part, but that was so, he didn't just talk the talk. You know, he, I know he gave up probably certain opportunities to exhibit and things because he was so focused on his teaching and just the weight of investment in us, I could tell was really important to him. And he probably spent more time focusing on the students that he could tell were really dedicated, you know, and just that work ethic that it takes to be successful. You can try to teach someone the work ethic, but some people are just naturally more, more engaged in what they're doing. And others are kind of, they're sort of getting an introduction and it's maybe not going to be their thing but they may still go off and be teachers and they need to be generalists. And so they, especially art education majors, they may not get to take a lot of advanced coursework. They have to know sort of a more of a broad base of of things. And so he felt it was important, okay, that these art teachers that are going to go teach in public schools know how to load a kiln and fire a kiln. And, you know, they may not have a clay mixer, but we're going to show them how, where clay comes from. And, you know, so I definitely saw him too as a person, not just a teacher. You know, we had potlucks at his house at the end of the semester and we got to go see all the pots in his house and how he lived with those objects every day. And I try to do some of those things with my students too. I'm not just a teacher, I'm a mom. And I didn't have, that was one thing, I didn't have any women teachers at that time that were mothers. And so I was actually kind of like, not sure, can I do, can I do it all? And, and I think that's a conversation that's coming up more and more when I go to conferences, like higher education conferences and things. And dads too, there are dads that are at stay at home artists that are also raising kids and things. And it, it it's a lot. So I wasn't sure how it was all going to work. And sometimes it doesn't, (laughs) you know, sometimes I'll be honest, I don't have good equilibrium in my life. And I 
I'm not always the most organized. And so I'm sort of running to try to keep up, but I love my life. I don't have any regret about pursuing art. It's it's not a career, you know, it's a lifestyle really for me. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, I think that's great. Perfect. Beautiful answer. So fun fact, I mean, my uncle uh, was also an art professor at a community college. And um, my while I was here, my area of emphasis um, was also ceramics. So you mentioned work ethic. Um, and having been a student, I, I know what it takes to go from taking ceramics to learning how to throw on the wheel. But to go back to work ethic, can you kind of detail what it looks like for us to be a student, an art student who's studying ceramics? How does that look different than being a business major? How does that look different than being a science major? With a studio practice, you really need to have, it's about place a lot. So, you know, here are our facilities. We have a lot of space to work. And because you're not going to take clay back and work in the library or your dormitory or your apartment. I mean, I'm not saying that you couldn't do that on some level, but in general, you're not going to be set up for that. And so, and you're not going to have a wheel and kilns and things, you know, where you live probably as a student. And so the buildings are open till midnight, most every night and open back up at seven. And some of our students have extended access to be here even past that time with permission. Yeah. I think just being on site more, there's a lot more um, visibility of our students just here in the buildings working. And when they're not here, they might be listening to podcasts about artist interviews, um, or they're in the library, they're doing research, they're following their famous, favorite ceramic artists on Instagram. You know, they're, they're in very in touch with modern day technology, and that's constantly changing. When I was a student back in the 90s, it was in the library, you would go to find books and articles, and now so much of that is online. And so, you know, they um, are hopefully with my pushing them and prodding them using their spare time to do research about contemporary and historical topics related to ceramics, but not just that. I mean, it could be other topics that sort of feed their ideas in terms of concepts and things. And so they're very immersed, I would say. Someone that declares an art major is going to be in at least three studios, ideally. They're going to be an intro to design, drawing, and ceramics. And then right away, we try to also get them in a survey class so that they're getting some art history background started. That scaffolding is starting to get put into place. So they're not just creating art in some kind of a vacuum. They can see themselves as part of a continuum. One of the things we talk about with students is, you know, when you go to college and you get your degree, you know, the piece of paper is great and it matters, but it's really the skills that you accumulate kind of throughout your time. It's the tools for the toolbox is how I usually phrase it to them. We don't have a chance, honestly, to work with that many art students. So can you tell us a little bit about like, as an art major, what are those skills? What are those tools that they kind of develop through a ceramics major or an art major? I mean, I'm glad you said that because I think that's so true. You know, I think Like I told you earlier, my teachers did not promise me a career. If you think that a piece of paper is going to get you there, and and it could in some cases open doors for you, but they're really going to be looking at your portfolio. They're going to want to hear you talk. You can't just be super, super shy and not able to 
verbalize what you're doing. I mean, somebody at some point is going to need you to verbalize it, whether it's in an interview or, you know, all the time if I'm having to give an artist talk about my work. You know, if I go to the, I have a solo show somewhere, or even if I apply for a juried show, I have to send written um, documentation. It could just be an artist statement. It could be my CV, which is constantly having to be updated. That's CV is an artist resume. And networking, just talking to people, saying, hey, I want to get involved in your project. How can we collaborate on an exhibition? So those verbal and social skills and writing skills are so key. And that's what I love about a liberal arts education. This is not a vocational art school. It is umbrellaed under a liberal arts degree. And so you you are so well-rounded, even just your understanding of sciences. You know, I took geology, geography, I took biology. All of that stuff shapes your mind and just helps you see the world in a global context. You know, I might not be great at algebra, but I took it. <laughs> and I have an appreciation for people whose minds work that way. And so it's it just really, I find it's been so valuable to me as a person and as an artist. And I know people that are just fantastic artists, but they verbally don't communicate super well, or they just have to work harder at it. Um, or writing, they may have, they, I have a lot of, or I shouldn't say a lot of, I know artists that are dyslexic and, and they have built a support system around themselves to help them with certain things that may be weak areas for them. And so there are ways to, and Northwest has a great, you know, support system to help. You know, we all have our strengths and our weakness areas. And so if we can figure out what those are and form strategies around that, I think, you know, that's really where success is going to come from. Everybody knows in the office, right? I cannot explain things without drawing it on the whiteboard. Like we must have drawing tools at hand at all times in our office, because one of the things that I think, and I, I worked with ceramics while I was here, I do more painting now, but was the capability of being able to interpret what your, your idea in a medium like a drawing, right? So I can, I can talk all day long, but people understand what I'm trying to explain. I can just make a few lines and that will communicate far better than my words will. Right. And I think those, those types of communication skills, they're like shortcuts almost for artists sometimes, right? Like to be able to shape something into clay or to be able to draw something that can say far more than words can, but you're talking about having those verbal skills and writing skills to complement those artistic skills. They're all communication skills in a way, right? Yep. The thing about art is it should speak for itself, ideally. And within the artist community, I think we have an unspoken understanding of of what what we do, but we have an audience that they're they're not seriously academically trained artists, you know, and we want them to buy our work. We want them to sort of get us on some level. And so, you know, it's just what we have to do. I I mean, my daughter, she's taking a high school dual credit chemistry class here with Northwest and she shows me things and it looks like a complete foreign language to me. And I respect that. You know, I'm, I'm happy that there are people in the world that understand that, but she could verbalize to me, okay, this is kind of generally what this is, what I'm doing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. You know? And so art is its own language that transcends verbal and written for sure. 
but we need some of the verbal and the written to sort of be married to it at times, so to speak, and just to help us not just to help us be understood. And I think too, you know, right now the world, there's such a focus on mental health and taking care of yourself. And I think for me, and I know for a lot of people, having a creative outlet is really important for mental health, having a place where you can express yourself and you can kind of get, you know, get those creative juices flowing is, you know, can really kind of do a lot more than just have an end product. It's really kind of therapeutic, the whole process of making and creating and thinking about things that way. And that's something, you know, when you're a kid and you're in high school and you have art classes and music classes, you don't think about, but then when you're an adult and you don't, it's like, oh no, I miss that. I need that in my life. I need some kind of creative outlet. So I would think having an art major where that's what you do, like there's some therapy in that too. You know, that's, there's, that's a real thing for sure. There wasn't a question in there. Sorry. (laughs) I think art can be therapy for sure. I think there's a lot of value to that. But also I think when you're looking at it from the perspective of a university level program, most of our students are coming in for pretty serious, hardcore art training. And, you know, not everyone's going to get an A. You know what I mean? It's There's a rigor to it that makes it not therapeutic. It makes it sort of frustrating. And we're really pushing students. We're challenging them to a point where it's probably doesn't feel like therapy or enjoyable. It feels like work, you know? And so I think depending on the context, I know there are a lot of community art centers where even some of our students will end up kind of continuing to take classes or teaching classes and things. And there's that, that sort of idea of rigor is set aside. And that is liberating in a lot of ways or our teachers that are able to take it into public school systems. We also have had people interested in art therapy. And so they're pairing an art degree with the psychology degree in some way, like maybe one's a minor and one's a major, and then they go on to a graduate program in art therapy. And so they're really focused on those ideas about mental health and using art as a tool to sort of get people that are locked up inside of themselves out and that, or that can't verbalize or talk or write about experiences they've had or whatever. I mean, that's a complex topic, but art can definitely be a tool. And just even with connecting with people and building trust and a connection where someone maybe could feel like they could talk to you. And one other thing that came to my mind when you said that was, you know, during COVID, so many people were at home, isolated, locked up at their house with their stuff, so to speak, would you rather be locked up with your industrially produced things or with some handmade things? And so we actually saw sort of a renaissance in people shopping through galleries online and things and supporting handmade and art because they realized they were so much more in touch with their environments and the objects that they touch all day long. And so that's been a thing that's ties in with, you know, that idea of mental health and that beautiful objects that reference other people, makers, create a connection. And I think people are craving that. What are some influences on your own work? You know, I look a lot at spaces and shapes and spaces, you know, like I look at ceilings, (laughs) I look at the negative shapes So you'll have an object and I look the shape around the object. I look at shadow shapes. I look a lot at architecture and 
the textures of how different metals and woods and stucco and things kind of come together and create lines and edges. So those are, you see that emphasis in my work. Well, I don't have examples of my work to show here, but if you look at, at my work, you see that there's a softness because I start with my forms on the wheel and then I do quite a lot of altering to them to give them sort of a, an understructure with some geometry. And then what happens on the surface sort of ties in with that. So a lot of ge geometric shapes. And so I would say architecture is really important in that way. And I live in the Midwest, you know, so the colors of, of the landscape here are warm mostly. And so there's a lot of contrast in my work with warm, cool, or neutral, intense color pairings. And so, I mean, I, I think all artists would say they're, they're influenced by the landscape in some way or another. Do you have any new, any upcoming shows? I have work coming down like probably today, even at SIU Edwardsville um, in their museum. I was part of a group show there. And I'd worked that just came down at a solo exhibition at the Iowa Ceramics and Glass um, Center. And I have six cups coming up in the Americano show at Clea Carr Gallery in Iowa City. That's opening like December 3rd. And then in February, I have another solo exhibition at Cotty College in Nevada, Missouri. Um, so I'll be working hard to finish up some of those pieces. and be traveling there to set up soon. I mean, it just, the time goes by so fast. Are you focused on making functional wear or what is your, what's, what are you kind of working on right now? I mean, most of my work has that idea of utility or function, whether somebody uses it or not, once they get it into their base, I, I have no control over, but it definitely conceptually invites that. And I think at a price point, like when I do sell work, I'm not trying to sell work, but it has to go somewhere eventually that you could feel like you could use it. When you buy a sculpture for thousands of dollars, that sort of already right off the bat says, don't touch, you know, so when you can buy a mug for $50, which even still seems like a lot, you're more likely to actually use it. And so I've, I've gotten off topic, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing great. Utility. Yeah. So that thing about you touching it, you interacting, and things that have a context within the home. Like my work's not going to, it might be in a gallery or a museum for a little while, but long-term, that's not where I intend it to be. You know, I intend it to be in your personal space, you know, on your table, on your counter, in your hands while you are <laughs> watching a movie or whatever. Yeah. And so that's, I do have some wall tile pieces that are more like paintings. They're compositions in and of themselves, and they're not really meant to, to use. You know, when I exhibit in a space, I have to have some work for the walls. And sometimes that's platters or wall. Like, they're sort of a thick three-dimensional wall tile. And so I, I do have some pieces like that, too. People don't think about or talk about the work has to go somewhere, right? Otherwise, right. it just starts stacking up. And as a painter, right? So like, that's the struggle is that this is not really a functional, I can't just, I guess I could give it to my neighbor, give it, you know, give it away, sell it or whatever. But at some point you have to, it has, it must go out. It cannot stay yeah. in the one spot or you, you become like hoarders, right? <laughs> right. 
Right. Yeah, I had a friend once who painted, and once a month he he burned every painting he made for the month. He didn't want anybody to see him. He wouldn't give him or sell him. He he painted to paint, and then at the end of the month he burned all the canvases and started over, which seemed yeah. wasteful to me. It's like I'll He's take very one of those paintings, Agnes put Martin. it on the wall. That's intense. I mean, that's intense. But you know, I think for a lot of artists, it is about the process. The end product is something that oh, I have to figure out what to do with this thing. And like, I'm not really in love with the end product. I mean, for me, it's about the process. I wouldn't want you to come in and just smash all my work. You know what I mean? But I, for me, it's about the process of ideas that are constantly, okay, what if I try this next? Well, what will this do? If I fire this glaze, what will it look like? Or if I change, if I add more routile, you know, or what if I take this base and add copper carbonate to it? So there's a lot of experimentation and stuff that's part of the process that I love. And it's not just about, oh, I have to have really great cups to sell or something like that, you know. Well, awesome. This has been really great. No, I just think this is a glorious idea to interview um, faculty member and staff and, and people that, you know, we don't get, to, I don't get to tell all my students all that. If I did, they'd be like, what? <laughs> this is too heavy for me. I just <laughs> not ready for all this. So it's pretty cool. Well, we thank you for being here. That was a great story and some really great insight there into art that we haven't had before. And I, I appreciate the, your perspective yeah. and your your information there for sure. Well, thank you so much for thinking of me. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>